Hi, listeners. Rachel here with an exciting announcement. We are holding a summer book club bingo game, and there is a card that you can download, a bunch of prompts for different types of books that you can choose to read to play the game along with us. All the instructions and information on how to sign up are at rachelthompson.co slash book club, where you can get your card. And you'll also be able to enter your card to win prizes throughout the summer months. So that's from May to September. We'll be running this book club bingo. I hope you will sign up and uh, read some cool books and be inspired to do some more writerly reading this summer. So all the information is at rachelthompson.co slash book club. Welcome, Luminous Writers, to the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast. I am your host, author and literary magazine editor, Rachel Thompson. This podcast explores how to write and share your brilliant writing with the world. In each episode, we delve into specifics on how to polish and prepare your writing for publication and the journey from emerging writer to published author. In this episode of the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast, it's part two of our most recent Six Senses showcase. The writers you will hear all participated in the workshop series I offered last year on the Six Senses. As I mentioned in part one of this two-part podcast, we had so much goodness that we did our showcase over two episodes. That's why you'll hear us mention the readers and speakers from our past episode, which was number 69, which featured Whitney French on the sense of sound, Cicely Bell on the sense of smell, Sarah Munn on the sense of taste. So if you haven't yet, I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode found at rachelthompson.co slash podcast slash 69. You don't need to listen to it before this episode, but it's definitely a good companion episode for this one. In this episode, we feature Tamara Jong on the sense of touch, A.L. Bishop on the sense of sight, and Candice Webb on the sixth sense. Listen to learn about how we're comparing our brain notes, as our guide to sight A.L. Bishop called it, and hear how the writers shifted their approach to these three senses and how that helped them bring their more embodied writing to life, or intuition in the case of the sixth sense. At the end of our discussion, I will offer prompts on the sense of touch, sight, and the sixth sense for you to do some starter writing, a little free writing that will help you hone in and bring more specificity concrete felt experience, and clarity to your own writing. You can download 12 prompts now, two for each sense, in a PDF in the show notes for this episode. This is episode number 71, so you would go to rachelthompson.co slash podcast slash 71. So without further ado, here are three luminous writers on the senses of touch, hearing, and the sixth sense. We're going to go to the sense of touch now and turn to Tamara Zhang, who's here. I'll ask you to introduce yourself, please. Well, thanks all for having me here. My name is Tamara Zhang, and I'm currently on Treaty 3 territory, the occupied and ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, Anishinaabe, Bawaki, Adirondack, and Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation, otherwise known as Guelph, Ontario. I want to start by talking about the sense of touch, which in some ways, I think is still my favorite. I've declared that as my favorite sense at one point last year while we were doing this series, and I think it still is. So can you tell me what does the sense of touch mean to you? And if there's anything that's come up for you lately that you've been noticing and observing with this sense? 
Well, looking back on my earlier life, I can see that in my family, touching wasn't really a thing. But it's weird because I am a toucher. And I don't know if this is a real story or not. There was a, I don't know if it was a hospital or orphanage. There were babies that were at the very end of the hospital ward or the orphanage that were doing better than the babies that were inside. And then it was because there was a lady that worked there would pick up the babies and hold them. And I don't know if that was real or not. I can't remember. I I thought I heard something. I don't know if that's one of those urban myths. And it just makes me think about how I was the type of kid who needed kind of that touch or reassurance that somebody was there. And my aunt had told me, it was like last year, that she was the one who would come and get me and pick me up when I was crying and stuff like that. And I remember them living with us, but I don't remember much, obviously, because I was a baby. My memory's not that great (laughs) as far as that goes. But she said when I was crying, she'd snuggle with me. And then later on, I was like thinking like, where were my parents? Deep down, I kind of knew where my parents were, but at the same time, I was like, where are my parents? So this kind of leads to other questions. And then I was like, okay, was it this? Was it that? And then of course, my parents aren't around, so I can't ask them. I always feel like I was that middle sensitive kid, you know, and this is dating myself a little, but like the Jan of the Brady Bunch family, kind of like Marsha, Marsha. It's always Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. So it made me think also about the pandemic at the beginning and while we're living during even now, how hard that would have been for me if I had been alone. That would have been really a big challenge for me. I mean, I'm lucky I wasn't, but I can see why people would really struggle and that probably would have really affected me. It also made me think of the question of my former faith with regards to doubting Thomas, how he needed to touch Christ's wounds. And I think for me, like it always goes back to the religion and my family. And so I think about touch a lot even more because of this prompt. And as a memoir writer, I think it's very important to think about those things in terms of my own work, in terms of also incorporating other senses in my own work. But that was the wonderings that kind of popped out when I started really thinking about what you're asking. Thank you, Tamara. Yeah, I appreciated hearing how people relating this to the pandemic too, like the experience that we've gone through and we're still going through, because I think it has affected our senses in these ways. And you, both you and Cicely in particular opened up different ways that that has affected our sensory experience. I asked you to think about and bring to us what your favorite texture is and why it is your favorite. Do you have something to share with us about that? I was like, what is my favorite texture? It was really hard for me to kind of think of because I was kind of torn between water. You know, that sensation when you're like in a kayak or canoe and you put your hands in the water or you're in a swimming pool, just that feeling, how it feels. It's hard, but it's not hard. You know, you're putting your hand through it. And then I was like thinking about when I used to be able to play sports, which I can't do anymore, but I remember playing ball and just digging into the dirt or taking the dirt, putting it on your bat, like that feeling, the grit, that feeling and how I will never be able to feel that in the same way again in a, like in a game. What I'm saying is I really can't pick one, but then I was like feeling like what a library book feels like, you know, like the old pages. And I was like, I think this is probably one of my favorites, but it's, yeah, it's just hard. There's so many things. But it's good because I would have never thought of those things. Even like what Sarah's saying about something being a character, even touch being some kind of character, it really can come alive if you start to like investigate how these things, the texture of things. So this is a really great prompt. All those examples are such great tell the water, the library book in particular. Thank you. It makes me think a bit because I've used as a prompt before to the idea of the film Amélie and how they introduce each character by what are their favorite things to touch and hers is like putting her hand into a sack of grain and so all of these I'm like oh here's the character if we were to introduce Tamara it would be the water of the book <laughs> that's great I want to also invite you to talk about your journey as a writer in terms of writing about the senses and in terms of writing about touch in particular 
Have there are things that you've noticed that have changed for you in, in terms of that rating? Well, I feel like now I'll probably notice these things more, but I feel like I was always more of an emotional landscape writer. So it was more about memories and feelings. So I often get lost about the details because in my mind, they're so vivid. But when I'm actually trying to describe it or put it on paper, like I have to remember that I need some kind of anchors. So I think those things, paying attention to what's around me, whether it's like the touches or the senses or or all the senses, it's a very good prompt or things that I actually need to think about. It can only really enrich the work by, again, what is it, making it a character and just making it really kind of pop off the page. I find I get distracted very easily. So I can jump from like memory to memory to memory without doing all those things. Yeah, it doesn't work so well if you're a nonfiction writer, if you keep jumping from memory to memory, because that's not going to be much of a story. (laughs) It's going to be more like flashbacks. So I try to think now, I'm trying to think more anyway, when I'm revising a piece to try to put the reader in there with me. But I also have to take the time and see if they're not seeing it with me. Like if that's the feedback I'm getting that somebody can't see what's happening, then I should really probably be paying more attention to not just the emotional landscape, because that's really hard to carry for a very long time without anything else around it. I have to think of those things. So I think like the smell of bread breaking, you know, seeing a building that you remember and you have this like deja vu that you were there before because that physical memory evokes something in you, the touch or feel of a diary like that I once had. Now that I remember it has little bumps on it and it was very small and it was like very plain. I didn't often fill out like a lot. It was like one line, two lines, (laughs) you know, so it had no lock on it. It's just making the writing better because I'm describing it more. I'm really making myself and the reader feel like, hey, we're there. You know, this is what it looks like. This is what it feels like. That's such a good note for all writers and for people who are here live and people listening. So thank you for bringing that. And I understand you also brought some writing. So I'd love to hear the writing that you brought today, Tamara. Coming home from work the other night, I drove past an older grand house, three stories high with lights on in the library. I said out loud, I want a library. It looked like a smaller Downton Abbey, but let's face it, I'd probably be one of the servants and not the ruling class, although it's not that obvious to me until much, much later. My books in my apartment are in oddly shaped piles, big and small, old and new, on the night table, the overflowing bookshelves, yet still, yet still I go to the library down the street, my hunger for the feeling and touching the pages through a book I haven't read yet never stops. I've got three library books, but keep returning to Brown Girl Dreaming which is poetry by Jacqueline Woodson, a Jehovah's Witness, just like why I was. There's a verse in Eve and the snake about Satan's tricking Eve and how God said, don't touch that one apple or whatever fruit it was. And this brings me back to my youth when I used to be such a believer who was sure she wouldn't have sinned, but also remember that my sister told me I couldn't stop touching things in other people's houses. Thank you, Tamara. I love how those books appeared in that as well. I will close also by asking you about the idea of being a sensitive writer in relation to the senses and if you wanted to share some of your thoughts about that as well. Yeah, I think I have to be more conscious of the fact that I don't ignore the things around me, the details. I'm kind of the person, I think, that goes in the fridge and doesn't find the milk, even though it's sitting right in front of me. So I I can see the importance of using more senses to help me dig deeper. Because even in Jacqueline Woodson's book, she talks about pine salt and biscuits and grits and eggs, and she does it so like seamlessly and like it feels like effortlessly, but I feel like that's poets, you know, and poets at a richness always to work. So I'm not a poet, but I love reading poets' works. And I think that's what happens. I need to like pay attention more. (laughs) So just let that come out and just let me dig deeper. 
I think this is the biggest thing I'm realizing that I really want to do, you know, going back to writing because I haven't done a ton of writing in the past little bit. So I don't want to ignore that part. Yeah, don't ignore that part. And people in the chat are just asking about the author, so Jacqueline Woodson, and I'll mention too that we will have links to all of the books and materials that are referenced in this episode in the show notes for the podcast. Thank you so much for sharing the sense of touch with us, for touching us in in virtual ways as well too, just in terms of our own feeling and um, bringing that nice reminder that we can write in the emotional space, but also grounding it in senses is something that helps, again, with connection for readers. I'm interrupting this showcase to invite you to hone your craft, build your writing platform, and connect with other luminous creative writers in the Writerly Love community. This is my warm, inclusive, and supportive membership community for creative writers to get together, learn about everything from writing craft and getting published to building a platform and sustaining yourself as a writer. It is a place to grow a luminous writing career with a community of brilliant peers, including all three of the guests in this episode of the podcast who are sharing their brilliant work. If you're ready to learn and grow, I'd love to have you join the Writerly Love membership community. Registration is open year-round now, and I offer a sliding scale pricing model to make it as accessible to as many writers as possible. You can learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash join. I'm going to call on A.L. Bishop now, who's here to talk about the sense of sight. Thank you for being here to represent the sense of sight today. Can you let us know a bit about where you're speaking to us from and share your pronouns as well to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you. I am A.L. Bishop. My pronouns are she and hers. And I'm joining from the land of the Niagara Purchase Treaty, which is Niagara Falls, Canada. And that's the traditional home of the Attawandarok. Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation, the Haudenosaunee, and the Mississauga people. I want to start by asking you what the sense of sight means to you, what has come up for you lately, noticing and observing through the eyes, I guess, recently. So I actually don't see very well myself. (laughs) I found out when I was in my 20s that my brain is canceling out double vision most of the time and has always been. So I think that for me, why I like writing about the sense of sight is because I think that sometimes people mistake it as one of the more objective senses and that everybody's having a shared experience if they're able to see and perceive things. But I'm really very intrigued by how different people read the same visual cues and like the whole host of interpretations that that opens up well beyond just like taste or preferences, but you know, much deeper than that in the same ways that everybody's been describing with the emotional connections and stuff like that. I didn't know that actually about your sense of sight. So I'm particularly happy that this is the sense that you're going to be representing today. I wanted to ask you about the way that people build images in their minds, but feel free to also talk about that experience as well. Because I have a longtime friend who always told me, you know, I can't really see, I don't picture things in my mind's eye. I don't actually have a visual sense of it. I use language. So just building with words. And then there was like kind of a moment on the internet recently where a bunch of people identified that actually that's how they see things as well and didn't realize it. It's one of those psychological phenomena, I guess, or brain phenomena that are coming up because of the shared conversations that are happening online. Um, Thinking of the auditory sensory, the ASMR that's happening, that people found out about through the internet as well. Can you tell us a bit about how clearly you see in your mind's eye, or even what you said about having a different experience of vision as well. Absolutely. 
to be really clear, I didn't know that my brain was doing this little trickery all the time. I was quite surprised to find out. And the reason that this question really hits kind of hard for me is because when I was younger, I feel like I had extremely crisp and vivid images in my head. And I was the person who would take a test and imagine my notebook and be like, oh yes, Robespierre was this guy. And I could have that kind of photographic recall. But then our children both struggled with sleeping as infants. So I went through two roughly one-year stretches of serious sleep deprivation while we figured all of that out. And that really changed how my mind works quite a bit. So for me now, it's quite different. And the images are fleeting. They're usually in color. They're usually pretty clear, but I can't look at anything directly, which is interesting to me because my grandmother had macular degeneration near the end of her life. And she used to describe it to me as a hole in the middle of whatever she was looking at. And I feel like my mind's view has kind of evolved to that. So there's this like dark, warm cave, and I can't focus on anything if I look directly at it. But all around it is this kind of imagery flitting and colors and and shapes and stuff. And it's sort of all in the periphery of my line of sight. So I can draw on that and I can feel my way through it. If I try to look at it, it's hopeless. (laughs) But if I can kind of relax my focus, everything sort of presents itself. I don't really know how to articulate it better than that because I hadn't really thought about it since I saw that that same debate on Twitter. But yeah, there's been a definite shift. And I have to say, I appreciate both versions of it. There's a bit of a curse that's associated with being able to clear perfectly vivid images at any time. So in some ways, I'm kind of glad for my vacuum at this point. You said something about being able to describe that. And just as you describe it, I'm thinking this is an essay that I'd be really fascinated to read if you wanted to explore that. I know you write mostly fiction, but I think there's something really interesting in that experience that feels like it has some rich writing potential. So I want to ask you about your before and after with the senses. You were someone who was there during our guided writing series and just going wild. I felt like a lot of the times, because you often were writing from the perspective of a character and you're uncovering, oh, this is happening with their sense in this way and this happening with their sense in that way. Can you talk a bit maybe about that, but just in general about how that's changed your approach to writing the senses? I have to say, I'm definitely one, I fall into that category of people whose writing has really been transformed by that succession series. And I think that's partly because I studied screenwriting a long time ago. And so I think that before the series, even in my fiction, I don't really write screenplays anymore, but even in my fiction, I tended to use the sense of sight, like a lot of screenwriters do, because you hear this adage that the script is your one chance to direct the movie and tell the camera what to point at and what to focus on. And I think I was really doing that in my fiction, but I like to write a lot of unreliable narrators. So what I found through those exercises, and as you said, I was writing them kind of as my main character of the novel that I was working on. And what I think I really carried forward from that is this value of exploring how a character's personal visual engagement with the story world, which is different from mine as a writer or from any other characters in the piece, can kind of augment my efforts to craft either a reliable or an unreliable narrator. I think that overall, I worry less now about getting the reader to look exactly where I want them to. And I'm focusing more on sharing what and how the characters see. And I think that that gives me kind of a new dimension in terms of co-creating with a reader, because maybe I'm flirting with being a little bit misleading or disruptive or I'm using really loaded visual descriptions to try to influence the images that the reader's creating. But I feel like that really enlivens the negotiation between us 
because ultimately the reader is going to decide how much to indulge the narrator and how much of their vibe to take on. But I get to kind of push those limits. So I think I feel like it gives me a lot to work with. We'd love to hear you read the writing that you brought for us today, Amanda. So this is from the novel that I was working on at the time of the first series. And I have to say, it's actually from the touch prompt. I didn't realize that. But the way that it got pulled into the story is more through the sense of sight. And that's primarily because the main character is an artist and she's really used to seeing the world differently from other people. But she has at this point in this haunted house story where she's just realized that her vision is doing weirder stuff than usual. The tumbling clothes should have been a blur, but I traced and followed each garment as it tossed and spiraled, the tone and value of each color, the intricacies of flailing movement, all in alarming sharpness and clarity. Above the dryer was a framed print of a lone folding deck chair on a vast beach. The red and white striped canvas faded on top, but still vibrant even in shadow on the underside, and below it, the sand. It should have read as a beach, even in G. Clay, a composite of hue and texture, sure, but doing the job of being a beach. Not these grains of what was left, what was broken, defying the open air and water to wear them down further, each reinforced by its fellows, but not necessarily related to them, apart from by proximity, each broken off from a different piece in a different place, different ages, different mineral sources. They only presented as one to earn dismissal and thereby facilitate escape. In the weave of your blanket, the roots of your hair, crevices, orifices, to find yet further places to be, to break, to endure at last, alone. Yes, I love that that came through the sense of touch, but then definitely I see I see all those things. I'm wondering, you know, as you read that piece and you're thinking about the writing you've read from other writers, what are things that you're noticing about the senses and the sense of sight in particular as we read? I have to say, it's really just this kind of ozone layer that sensory data seems to pass through on its way to becoming meaningful to us. And it's different thicknesses in different places, and it's possibly changing the makeup of what's going on. And so in my own writing and other people's writing, I feel like once that intake hits our brains, it undergoes this remarkable transformation. So it's so limitless in its variations once it's rattling around in there. For me personally, it's been a really rich way to uncover things that I didn't know about my characters or how their funny little minds work. I've also really kind of tuned into how other people are using those transformations to tell me what I need to know about characters and situations. I've really been struck by you in in this discussion too about the relativity of the senses too. It's not necessarily that we're describing the same experience, but we're sharing our unique experiences and somehow building meaning and connection through that. So thank you for bringing that element to this conversation, Amanda. Did you want to talk about what it means to be a sensitive writer in relation to the senses as well? Actually, it goes back to just exactly what you were saying and a little bit of what Tamara was saying too. What has made the reference point of senses useful to me as a writer is that it makes me feel safer to open myself up. I'm quite sensitive and I'm quite private as a person. So opening my heart and bearing my soul can be really terrifying. But with the senses, first of all, I'm dealing with those anyway. (laughs) That stuff's already incoming. It's already en route. So verbalizing what I see or inhabiting a character's perception to say what they see, it gives me kind of a less intimidating way to try to connect with a reader and compare our brain notes. (laughs) There's still a lot of deep feeling and bizarre associations and secrets on display, but somehow it's a less daunting way for me to share the parts that are the deepest and the things that I most want to liberate, but I'm also the most afraid of exposing. So having that bridge 
with this kind of assumption of some shared experience has really, really freed me up. Thank you so much. Now I want to invite our final writer up to the stage to talk about The Sixth Sense. Thank you for being here to represent The Sixth Sense, Candice. And can you please introduce yourself and just tell us where you're speaking from today and your pronouns as well, please. My name is Candice Webb. My pronouns are she, her. And I am speaking from the traditional lands of the Pawtucket people and the tribal nation of Massachusetts, now known as Belmont, Massachusetts. Welcome. And thank you for going last and also going with this odd sixth sense or sort of less defined thing. Let's start with some definitions, maybe. So what does the sixth sense mean to you? And what has come up for you lately when you're noticing or observing the sixth sense as you define it? I think I originally went into this thinking, okay, we're talking about intuition. And then I realized, no, we can be talking about both at the same time. But the vestibular and the proprioceptive system. So this is basically the vestibular system, as far as I understand it, detects how your head moves and it affects your balance. And then the proprioceptive system. So for the vestibular system, you have receptors in your inner ear. And then for the proprioceptive system, it sort of orients you in space. So when you're doing movements like yoga or other sports, and there's receptors all over your muscles, joints, and tendons, which I found really interesting. So I guess that's sort of where I started. But I also looked a little bit into intuition. So like Cecilia is kind of nerding out a bit on the, the research. And I was wondering, like, don't the other senses feed into that because you're having a feeling? you're getting input from somewhere. And so I guess there's somebody in Australia who's researching intuition and how it occurs. And I guess it's sort of like unconscious processing of your sensory information versus the conscious. So you might see something that leads you to have a certain intuition, but you're not evaluating it while you're looking at it. It just happens. So that was very interesting. They gave an example of going to a restaurant You go there and you immediately have a gut reaction. No, not going to eat here. And so they're saying it's likely because you've unconsciously noticed, say, dirt. You've noticed a smell that you don't like. But the point is, is that you notice these things without thinking about them and your gut tells you, get out of here. And it relies on previous experience. So maybe you had an experience with a restaurant like that and you got sick afterwards, for example. So I thought that was really interesting how they linked intuition to some of these systems as well. And I guess, oh, in terms of my intuition, I haven't really experienced it recently, but definitely had those moments where it's been like, don't go here, (laughs) avoid this, and often have been right, even though I have a hard time trusting it. Yeah, it's the real trust your gut, right? (laughs) So I want to turn to your writing and ask about just how you use the senses in your writing before a series and writing through with the idea of the sixth sense. Is that something that you have brought into your writing? And just let me know about the, I guess, the evolution of your writing in terms of the senses. Initially, I would rely mostly on visual and hearing. And then I've kind of expanded beyond that by looking at all of the senses. And I don't think I've ever included thoughts about the vestibular and proprioceptive systems in my writing at all, because it's the kind of sense where 
you don't really notice it unless you lose it. So if you have a stroke or something happens to you, you're not balanced, you're not going to notice that until it's gone. So it just made me curious more or less how other people would react to a person's issues with those systems or from another perspective, I guess. So I've never included that. I'm sure intuition is in mystery books and things like that, where it's like, oh, I I had a prickling (laughs) back of my neck or whatever, but I can't actually think of anything specific. But I don't think I've ever heard anyone specifically talk about balance. I mean, I'm sure there are books out there that do. I just can't think of anything that comes to mind. But for myself, I feel like this is expanding my, my repertoire. We'd love to hear the writing that you brought today, Candice. Would you like to read now? This is a piece I wrote about the sixth sense or proprioception. Adaptation. The teachers at the preschool could not understand. When you were 10 months old, all the other infants motored around the classroom, handprints in the carpet, knees pressed into the mats. You watched from the corner, eyes alert, following the traffic. Their parents formed a tight circle on the other side of the room. Your mom sat on the floor beside you, stroked your hair. Maybe she was waiting for one of the other moms to come over and express fake concern so she could go mama bear on them. Or maybe she didn't care. Maybe she was just happy to snuggle with you. The teacher was cruel. If your child doesn't crawl soon, they'll never have the body awareness to walk. They need some space. Stop hovering. They could not understand. We could not understand. Whenever we had swim class at school, you could never stay in your lane. You said the splashing threw you off when we were all in the pool together. But even when it was just us, you'd drift over and hook me with your arm. Backstroke was disastrous. You'd get caught in the lane marker, wrapped around it like kelp. The coach would reach a hand down as you came to the wall so you wouldn't crack your skull on the concrete. We were cruel. Keep your eyes open. Look at the lane lines on the bottom of the pool. Finally, exasperation. What is wrong with you? We could not understand. I never understood. Why couldn't you walk down the street without veering into me or other people? It drove me nuts. In the summer, we'd walk down King West, hugging storefronts for slivers of shade. I'd always end up on the edge of the sidewalk, straddling the curb, one foot in the street as your body traveled its own route, independent of sight, without sense. I was cruel. Stop shoving. Watch out or you'll bang into someone. How can you not walk in a straight line? I could not understand. I love that idea of the child walking down the street with their eyes closed, because that's definitely something my own kids do. And even as you mentioned too about the systems changing, you know, I'm in this sandwich generation now myself. So I'm seeing my parents losing their sense of balance and all that happening as well. So thank you for all those things you raised with us in terms of those systems and then the intuition as well. I'm going to ask you finally, just what do you think it means to be a sensitive writer in relation to the census, Candace? I think for me, it just means being very aware of all of the senses when I'm writing and kind of reminding myself to ground oneself because it gives a better experience to the reader. And you also usually have a better experience as a writer. When you do pay attention to the senses and all of the senses. I think that's what it means to me. Thank you so much. And I'll just say thank you to all of our writers who read today and who shared their experiences of the senses. I'm really 
So grateful to all of you. Thank you so much. The Writerly Love community is my warm and supportive membership community for creative writers to get together, learn about everything from writing craft and getting published to building a platform and sustaining yourself as a writer. If you're ready to learn and grow, I'd love to have you join us. You can learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash join. So let's connect these ideas with your own writing, shall we? I will now offer three prompts related to the three senses you just heard for you to write. You might just listen and then go about your day and think about the prompts until an idea germinates and is ready to be expressed. Or you might hit pause after each prompt and set a timer to write and do that until you're ready to unpause and go on to the next Or you could download 12 prompts, two for each sense, including the first three senses that appeared in part one of our showcase. That PDF, again, is up at rachelthompson.co slash podcast slash 71. So here is the sense of touch writing prompt. It's called Touched POV. You'd start by writing a list of things you touch this week. So objects, plants, animals, elements. You choose one item on your list to write about in more detail and write everything you know about this item. Also, don't skip that step of writing that list. Really just give yourself a timer, sit for a few moments and generate a list because you might be surprised by what percolates, what comes up. Once you've picked that item to write about in more detail, you'd write everything you do not know about this item. Where did it come from? Who else touched it? Now write a scene, story, snippet, verse, from the perspective of this item. You could set a timer for yourself and then commit to keeping your pen on the page for the full time. I suggest at least 10 minutes if you've got it. Now the sense of sight writing prompt, picturing characters. So again, start with a list and don't skip on the list. Spend some time at that. Write a list of people you've been photographed with, anyone at all. And then write a list of daily routines, for example, a morning cup of coffee, an evening toothbrushing, but make it specific. For example, a morning battle to get socks on a child, an evening dark chocolate break, and choose one person from your list and one routine from your other list and write about them going through this routine. So that's the sense of sight writing prompt. And finally, the sixth sense writing prompt is your inner voice. So you'd write a list of what your sixth sense, your intuition has been telling you this week. Again, set a timer, spend some time with it. And then having done that first writing, that list making about what your sixth sense is telling you, then write a letter to yourself from that inner voice that knows the truth. So those were three prompts based on the senses that we covered today. Again, you can get 12 prompts. That's two for each of the six senses we had in these two episodes up at rachelthompson.co slash podcast slash 71. Earlier, you heard Tamara Jong, A.L. Bishop, and Candace Webb talking about the senses and reading their brilliant words on the senses. You can learn more about each of the writers, including all the books and resources we mentioned by going to the show notes for this episode. I've said it before, I'll say it again. This is number 71. So you go to rachelthompson.co slash podcast slash 71. By the way, these writers are all in our writerly love community. I'm so grateful to have them connected with us all. And they all took part in the Six Senses workshop I offered last year, which was a springboard for some beautiful words, if I may say so. This is the end of us showcasing those senses. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I have in seeing these writers 
write such beautiful words based on a lot of the prompts that we did in the workshop. By the way, I will be offering another guided writing workshop series in May, so stay tuned here or sign up for my writerly love letters to stay updated. You can get those at rachelthompson.co slash letters. In our showcase, I loved, loved, loved all the writing, and I hope you loved it too. And one thing I appreciated so much was when Tamara mentioned the impact the pandemic had on our sense of touch, which called back to Cicely Bell in episode 69, when they talked about the surprising ways the sense of smell was also impacted in terms of how the sense of smell is what allows us to create memories. So losing a sense of smell is a double loss. So it feels like the sensory writing is something we needed for a lot of reasons these days. And I'm glad that they brought those concerns to our community as well. So we could bring that power of the senses back into our writing more deeply. Next week, I'm going to repost a past episode. So we're going to take a one week break from new episodes, but coming up, After that, I can't wait to share an upcoming string of episodes around the theme of agency. So stay subscribed to get these and have a nice break if you're having a holiday next week. If you want to right now, after being inspired by what you heard today, download those 12 sensory prompts I offer in this episode in PDF. They are in the show notes. This is episode number 71, rachelthompson.co slash podcast slash 71. The Write, Publish, and Shine podcast is brought to you by me, Rachel Thompson, and my co-producer for this episode and for this last group of episodes is the wonderful Melly Walker. Sound editing is done brilliantly by Adam Linder of The Spoken Podcasting, and you can learn more about the work I do to help writers write, publish, and shine at rachelthompson.co. When you're there, sign up for my writerly love letters sent every other week, sometimes more often, and filled with support for your writing practice. If this episode encouraged you to write through the senses, I would love to hear all about it. You can reach me at hello at rachelthompson.co. And please tell other luminous writers about this episode. You can do this by sending them to the podcast on my website or searching Write, Publish, and Shine wherever they get their podcasts. Thanks for listening. I encourage you to stay sensitive and write your most luminous work. Each writer introduced themselves and the names of the Indigenous communities that historically and presently call the lands they spoke to us from home. Here's Melly Walker with her land acknowledgement. This is Melly Walker recording from unceded with St. Niche territories. And I am a guest in the South Sinai, Egypt on the lands of the El Muzina Bedouin. Join our game of book club bingo this summer. Learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash book club.